This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Journey of Unity, number two, our marriage series. Um, for those of you who are joining us the first time, we're going to have about a 15 to 18 minute concept, and then we'll open the floor to anybody who wants to share anything. So number two, Pasuk number two, we're exploring sort of the Aishas Chayel theme is the Pasuk of Batach Balev Bala V'shalal L'Yachsar. So, what does this mean? What is this concept? Batach Balev Bala, just interpret it. Batach Balev Bala, that her husband will have bitachan, or he'll trust, he'll develop a certain trust in his wife. V'shalal L'Yachsar, and he's not going to lose out. Okay? Now, there's there's a few different approaches to this, and tonight I want to take a specific approach. So, I actually have like a book that I'm writing on marriage, not promoting it because it's not out there. When it is, I will promote it. But in the, in in my book, I sort of took a totally different approach to this um, than what I'm taking here tonight. And I'll tell you, I'll share with you what I talk about in the book. It's it's the concept, the balance of developing trust with somebody else. When we get married, oftentimes there's no trust simply because you don't know the person. And the side, which is obvious, is that trust takes time to develop. You don't meet somebody and they say, just trust me. You don't trust them because you don't know them, right? So trust takes time to develop. And then there's the balance between somebody who's learning to trust versus somebody who's learning to control what they need to control and the person on the other side where they have to control what they need to control. And when they control, then I trust and that whole balance. That is not what I'm going to talk about tonight, okay? I want to talk about a totally different concept within the world of Batach Balebala, the concept of having trust in somebody else. So the classic understanding is... Is let, let's call it financial, and this is how many of the mafarshim explain this pasuk. That a husband, and let's let's be, let's be gender gender neutral for this for this talk. Okay, a spouse will develop enough trust in their spouse that they're not going to make stupid financial decisions. They're not going to make stupid chinuch decisions. You trust them, right? A good spouse knows over time that like, oh, you're deciding to invest some money. I don't have to look over your shoulder. I'm, I'm confident you're, you're doing a good job. They've worked to the point where, I know I'm not going to lose anything. I know I'm not going to lose anything by trusting you. You made a decision with the kids. It's probably a good decision. Now, obviously, in a perfect world, that has, that trust has been earned. That trust has been developed. It hasn't just, you're not just blindly walking into marriage and going, okay, I trust you to make all financial and chinuch and, you know, all other decisions. It's been a developed, journey that people have gone through to the point where you're not going to lose out anything. That is how many of the Mepharshim explain it. He trusts her purchases. He trusts that if she's running his business, if, you know, he goes away for a week and he leaves the family, he knows he's going to come back and like the family will be intact and anything, you know, her basic obligations will be fulfilled. The kids will get to school on time. The kids will be fed. They're going to put on coats before they go outside. He learns to trust his wife running the affairs of the house, because obviously at the end of the day, and this is something that we probably should talk about, everything that goes into a couple's life is 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 joint. Your children are joint. Your finances are joint, right? Your 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 emotions, how high strung you are, that is joint. It affects everybody in the house. So batach means that the couple has developed amongst themselves 
enough trust that like you're not ruining the kids, even though couples use that in arguments all the time, right? Oh, you're ruining the kids. Like you're not ruining the kids. You're not destroying the home. You're not killing anybody. You're not just squandering money. You're not gambling it away. You're not getting involved in a Ponzi scheme. Like you're, you're doing what you need to do in order to make me feel a certain sense of security. But there is a level within this, which some of the Mepharshim talk about. And it almost seems to be like a blind trust. Okay. Now we are taught, the Zara Shimshin talks about this. It's really Midrashim that talk about this, that the Pasuk of Batach Vale Bala, I'll, I'll read it to you from, there's actually a, a, fascin- a fantastic book. Okay. Um, great book. I think there's just a ton of information here, which is really, really beneficial for anybody who wants to buy it. But I'll read you a Medrash. The Medrash says, Batach Vale Bala, Zu Sara Imenu. This refers to Sara. Shehashir Avram Bishvila, that Avram Avinu became rich because of Sarah. Shenemar Ula Avram Hetev Bavura. That's the Pasak, that Avram became rich because of Sarah. So what was the story over there? For those of you who need to brush up on your Mishnah Mikra. Yeah, what was the story there? The story is Avram Avinu comes down to Mitzrayim. Avram realizes that Sarah is going to become a problem with all the Egyptians. So he says to her, Hey, I have a plan. The plan is get into the box. And if they bust you in the customs, when you go through the, uh, that belt, you know, that sees through it, if they bust you on the conveyor belt, then you should just simply say, um, um, that, that this is, we're brother and sister, and that's what you should say. So Sarah goes along with the plan. Of course, you get, you know, she gets caught. They take her to Avimelech. And the whole time she keeps saying, he's my brother, he's my brother, he's my brother, he's my brother, until a Malach steps forth, punishes the whole palace of Avimelech. Avimelech has a dream, and in the dream, Hashem says to him, be careful with this guy, Avraham. It's really his wife. And Avimelech turns around and makes Avraham rich. So what's, where was the trust over here? The trust was, in a certain sense, that Sari Minu, throughout this whole journey, and it was, I don't know how many hours it was or how many days it was, but over the whole journey, she had many opportunities to question Avraham if this was a smart plan, right? She could have turned to me like, are you sure it's wise to say that I'm your sister? But what happens if they realize that I'm not your sister? Or what happens? Maybe it would be better to say that I'm your wife because maybe they recognize the concept of Ashesish. Maybe it would be different, better to do a different plan. But she didn't question him. She just went along. She said, okay, Avram Avin, that's what you said. I go along with it. The whole time Sarah was maintaining, this is my brother. And that's what she did. And Chazal said, because she did that, she was Zaycha. And Avram of, Avram of, you know, was like a, that the trust that this couple had almost like a, I trust you. Even though Avram Avinu was never in such a situation, I trust you. You've earned my trust. Or I'm just going to go ahead and trust you. Where else do you find such a story? I think you find this by Mordechai and Esther also, right? Esther just goes along with Mordechai's whole plan. There was a lot of points along the way where she could have said, I think I know better than you. I don't think this plan is a very sound plan to the point where when Mordechai tells her that she needs to go into Achashverosh and she says, no, I haven't been there in 30 days, he says to her, if you think you're going to disobey me, that's what Mordechai says, somebody else will step in. But you should know that the reason you're in the palace now is to risk your life to go into safe Kal Yisrael. And she says, okay, fine, if that's what I need to do, I'll do that. Just daven for me. That's what she says, just daven for me, right? Go gather everybody together. And just daven, you know, daven and, and sackcloth and everything for three days and no problem. I'll go in. So there was like, I totally trust you, Mordechai. I'm walking into the king. The king doesn't know that I'm Jewish because you told me not to tell him. 
I'm coming in unannounced. Even though you told me I should go in, I'll, I'll just go in. Even though the king says off with your head, I'm going to go in. So there's like this trust that's on this like insane level. And what was the reward? The reward is that she saved Klai Yisrael. Mordechai gets elevated. He becomes like a, a minister, works in the parliament. All of a sudden, he's on top of everybody. And, and that was where they got to. And I, I think that there's a balance here. On a, one level, it seems to be that trust is something which has to be developed. And Mordechai and Avram Avinu, you can argue that they were so respectable in their spouse's eyes, they were so trustworthy that their spouse trusted them literally with their lives. And the Medrash is saying, if you could get your marriage to the point where a husband and a wife trust each other so much, you unlock Ashiras in your house like you can't even imagine. A lot of men, by the way, they tell their wives, or a lot of wives actually tell their husbands, they say, by the way, be careful, right? Because the, the Parnassah in this house is because of me. A lot of women say that in arguments. You be careful what you're playing with. You're playing with Parnassah. It's true to a degree. It's true to the point where you're able to build your marriage that the trust between this couple is 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 amazing. Okay, so we have trust that's earned. And then we have trustworthiness, Avram Avinu and Mordechai Hatzadik, right? Both of them had earned their trust. But I guess the question is, is there ever a point where there's just blind trust? Is there ever a place within a marriage for just blind trust? I blindly trust you in this area. So I was thinking about it, and I think that there's one area. And this is really what I want to talk about tonight. You know, like after like an hour, guys, like I'm with that introduction. <laughs> I, I want this is I, this is this is the point that I want to drive towards. Okay, that I think that there's one area where trust, even if it's not yet developed, it's something which, if a person is wise, they would just throw themselves into. And not only should they throw themselves into it, by throwing themselves into it, it will actually diffuse. Uh, don't don't take this to the bank, but I'm going to say 95% of arguments. Okay, here, here we go. You ready for this? Batachba, when should you just have 100% trust in your spouse? In what area? In Lev Bala, where your husband's heart is at. You will never go wrong. What does that mean? It means that the average couple argues on the stupidest things you could imagine. When you take an argument and you peel back that onion and you go to like the core of their argument, you find, what are you guys even arguing about? Tell me what you're arguing about. Oh, I don't even remember. So why are you arguing? The answer is, and here's why couples argue so much, because the husband or the wife disengaged for a little bit. They disassociated. They coexisted. They were apathetic. They did their own thing for a little bit. And then in order to show your spouse, hey, this is not a way that a marriage works, you you stand up. You tell them, this is not how it is in this house, right? What am I? I'm saying I'm not here. I'm not a wife. I'm not busy. You're right. You're you're just like your father. You're just like your mother. You, I see this is you know for generations. This is how you are. You're dysfunctional. You're ruining the children, right? So he's like, no. Let me tell you. He pulls back because you pull back, or vice versa. Again, we're gender neutral tonight. Okay. Your spouse pulls back because you pull back. So in your quest, hear me out of trying to bridge the gap, you oftentimes create even more gap. I see this literally in couples daily, multiple times a day. In your quest to bridge the gap, 
you oftentimes package what you're trying to accomplish with seeds of emotion. It comes across as being confrontational. You're putting the person down. You're belittling them. You're you're like there, and so they go, okay, okay, I I can't handle this right now. I can't handle this right now. So what am I doing? I'm out of here. Now, why are you doing that? Why are we doing that? Why does every person package their 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 message in anger? The answer is because we're hurt and we feel like you disassociated from me, you disconnected from me, you don't respect me, you're not connected to me. And in order for me to just shake you up and tell you like this is how you need to change, so we we fly off the handle. We go, come on, this is ridiculous. You come in late every night. I can't deal with this. So what are we really trying to get? We're trying to get our spouse to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, let's go for a walk. You're so amazing. You, you do such great stuff for me, right? That's what we want from them. But more often than not, they go, oh, I have to go to a share. My, my, my attorney's call. All of a sudden, they get very busy. They do the exact opposite of what we're trying to get them to do. Because as they are a reaction to our reaction, their reaction to our reaction to their disassociation is by disassociating even more. It is completely counterproductive. And if a person stops before they react, and they don't react, they respond, they say something, and they say to themselves, the one thing I'm sure of is that you did not mean to hurt me. I'm sure of that. I'm sure that you didn't mean to hurt me. I'm sure that by coming home late, it was not malicious. I'm sure that you forgot to pick something up you didn't mean to, to to not pick up the onions in order to create a massive fight. You didn't not pick up the onions to destroy our children. I'm pretty sure about that. Okay? So therefore, my reaction is not going to be to put you on the defensive for something that you were not ever on the offensive on. You didn't mean offense, so there, why, why would I make you play defense? We're not playing hockey here. If my ultimate goal is to get us closer... I'm going to get us closer. I'm going to be a smart wife or a smart husband who's going to bridge the gap rather than creating more of a distance. I recently had a couple that was sitting by me and we were unpackaging an argument that they had. Now, I'm not big into like conflict resolution. I think that that's like very therapy based. I'm not a licensed therapist, so I don't do that. Okay. I don't, I don't like sit there like rehashing all these arguments, but there was like one argument they were talking about for like so long between themselves weeks. Let's break this down, okay? And we were going through the whole argument. At the end of the argument, I was like, you know what's the most fascinating part to me is that the two of you don't even disagree on anything. Literally, when it came down to it, their disagreement, they had no disagreement. They both completely agreed. But the way that it came out from him that he wanted to do X and the way that his wife took it well, that she also wanted to do X, but like she was like, hey, you're forcing this on me. You're making me do it. And I was like, one second, don't you also want that? She was like, yeah, I do. It's like fascinating. You're both agreeing on something. So then why are you fighting? Why is it three weeks that you're not talking to each other and you're yelling and screaming and, and, and shut down and moping around the house and it's so quiet and I can't handle this. And like, like mom is like the whole world is caving in on you when you don't even disagree on anything. The answer is because surrounding, surrounding the messaging is the emotion of you don't get it. You don't get me. You don't try hard enough. You don't do enough there's like this attack mode that we go into and the person is like, whoa, 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 relax. I, I, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that that way. I, that way. I meant to say, I didn't mean to say it that way or you misunderstood my message. There's almost always something within 
the argument that is emotion-based that that pushes back. And when we when we get triggered on that side of things, on the emotion, all of a sudden, what we were arguing about went, goes right out the window. And then all of a sudden, it becomes me versus you. Remind yourself, one thing. One thing I know for sure. I could take this to the bank. Lev Bala, my husband, my wife, does not want what's worse for me. She also wants to be happy. Every couple I've ever dealt with, and that's a big statement, wants to be happy. Always want to be happy. Nobody wants to be miserable. Even when they have to get divorced, they're getting divorced because they think they'll be happier rather than staying in a toxic environment. They always want to be happy. We all strive for happiness. We strive for happiness, satisfaction, success. These are like innate in every single person. So if that's what you're driving for, then why are you fighting? Because I'm, I'm trying to get the person to understand that I want to be happier with them. Okay, good. So that drive, that push, that conversation can't push them away from your ultimate goal. And the way that you do that, I think encoded in the words, is batachba, just be sure that leiv bala, you remember that your husband's heart is in the right place. Your wife's heart is in the right place. In the right place. They do not mean you any harm. It's a guarantee you will not lose anything. You will not end up picking up more pieces afterwards. So that is that is the first idea. Just to add on this, just a, a concept which I saw recently, which I thought was just very eye-opening. Just, I, I thought this was this was an important concept because after last year, I got so many emails. I think this is an important thing to sort also set into motion. There's a concept that Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to Hashem when Hashem is telling him that he's going to be the one who's going to bring Kal Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. And he argues and argues and argues. If you read through the Pesukim, he argues so much with Hashem that he's not, I'm not going to take them out. It's not going to happen. I'm the wrong person. Over and over and over, Moshe Rabbeinu is, is, is fighting with Hashem that he should not be the Shliach. And at one point he says, Are you taking them out of Mitzrayim? And if you look in the Midrashim, they explain that Moshe Rabbeinu was saying to Hashem, you're taking these people out. You know who these people are? They're in the Memtesh Aridama. These people are at like Gehenim's door. These are the people you're taking out? They can't be. There's no, this is Amma Nifchar. This is Kedoshim Tiyu. This is the people that you want to be close with. And Hashem, when he tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he has to show a sign to Klal Yisrael, he tells him that he should stick his hand in his coat and pull it out. His hand's going to be filled with saras. And then he'll put his hand back in, he'll take it out, and it will be clean, right? Everybody familiar with that from, yeah, from grade school? Okay, good, right? Why Tsaras? So the Medrash says, because Moshe Rabbeinu was punished, like somebody who speaks Lashon Hara. If you speak Lashon Hara, you get Tsaras. Moshe Rabbeinu spoke Lashon Hara against Klaishol. You said, Tashem, these are the people you're taking out? Can't be these people. They're terrible. Tashem said to him, you get Tsaras. That's Lashon Hara. There's an obvious question. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu have to get Saras in front of everybody? Now think about it. Moshe Rabbeinu, at this point, nobody knew him. I mean, he was living in Paris Palace, but it wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. Nobody, he didn't yet know anybody. He could have had his Saras, suffered because he spoke Lashonara, and then showed up to Klai. So by the way, I'm here to take you out. Publicly, the first time he meets all the Jewish people, he says, hi guys, you should just know I just spoke Lashonara about you. That's pretty, that's, Shame, right? I'm saying, like, why did he have to go through that? And I was thinking that there's a very profound message here, which was really a message to all of Klai Yisrael. See, Maishra Rabbeinu wasn't the first person to think, these are the people you're taking out, these jokers. 
these people on the Memphis Sharitama. Moshe Rabbeinu was saying what everyone was saying. Every single person in Klaisha was like, Hashem's taking us out. Do you know who we are? We're terrible. Look around. We're suffering from the internet. But they dinim. Like, what are you talking about? Who you take? Are you taking us out? You know all the problems that we have in our society. So Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, tell Klaisal that the same thing that they're saying is what you're saying, and you should just know that that's toxic. That's not how you bring about change. That's not about how you bring about geula. If you want to change something in your life, you have to get rid of that mentality. And I was thinking to myself that there are so many mentalities. That as the start to any geula, to, to, to change and to grow and to redeem your own relationship, it doesn't have to be your relationship is in crisis or suffering to, to implement this. You cannot say certain things. Certain things are toxic. You say these words, it is the antithesis of growth. And I think one of those things that people say very often is this is who I am. I hear this all the time. People say, this is who I am. Why don't you come? This is who I am. I'm Tzaflagin, not on time. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm, that's who I am. Oh, okay, fine. Okay, fine. No problem. Didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Didn't realize that, that you're angry. So therefore, you're allowed to be angry. You could yell at your spouse. Unless somebody's like diagnosed by like a medical professional. Okay. Like, like really not diagnosed by your spouse, but like unless you're really diagnosed by a medical professional. A person saying, this is who I am, is the antithesis of change. It is the antithesis of growth. A person needs to say to themselves, in order for me to develop either trust or trustworthiness, which essentially means that I'm taking out this outer klipa, this outer emotional crunch that I put on my arguments, in order for me to take out the bite in my arguments... I have to be calm. I have to take the emotional temperature in my house down. I have to bring serenity to the table. Can't say certain things. Can't do certain things. Can't act in a certain way. Those things are toxic. There's no growth when those things are happening in a relationship. A person needs to say to themselves, in order for me to grow, in order for me to either trust, where the trust is developed, in order for me to be trustworthy that my spouse is willing to just say oh you're home late no problem do you mind just running back out i just need you to because i know you're not i know you're not a mashugana i know you're not crazy i know that you love me i know that you care for me in order for me to develop that i have certain things that i can't say certain things that are the absolute antithesis of marriage when a person focuses on themselves i i i this is me this is who i am accept me accept me accept me of course a person needs to be accepted of course true yeah i'm not saying that but in order for a person to actually bring about a catalyst of growth, they have to be willing to break that mold. Not to say this is who I am, but this is who I could be. This is who I want to be. Most people, I think women especially, don't appreciate apologies. They don't want to hear over and over and over, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They don't want to hear that. What they want to hear is, I understand you. I understand where I was wrong. I'm going to bring about change. I'm going to do something different. If your your husband keeps saying to you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he's really trying to shut you up. He's trying to get you to quiet down. He's trying to just say, stop complaining, stop fetching. If he really wants you to be happy, or if if your wife wants you to really be happy, she will say, I understand what you're going through. I realize what I did wrong. I'm going to do something different. 
that's the ultimate apology, right? Somebody who keeps saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I hear from couples all the time. Yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that more than I hear I love you and good morning. I hear that all the time. He's just always apologizing. Apology is necessary. It doesn't go very far, though, when you keep doing the same thing. And you'll keep doing the same thing because you don't have an understanding of what you're doing wrong. So a person, you know, I once read in the Chinuch book, it's like a child who keeps running around the corner and the parents are screaming at the kid and saying, don't go around the corner, don't go around the corner. And they're smacking this kid every time he runs around the corner. This kid's five years old. So he keeps running and they smack him and he's running and smacking. And finally, at one point, the kid turns to his father and he says, listen, just tell me what's a corner and I'll stop doing it. Right? You keep smacking me. I don't even know what I'm doing wrong. So the kid's apologizing. The father's beating him. In the meantime, there's a misunderstanding, a lack of understanding of what's actually going wrong. As adults, we're not very different than a five-year-old child in that regard. We keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? You don't even understand what you're sorry for. You don't understand what's wrong. If you understand what's wrong, then you can actually change. If you don't understand what's wrong, the apologies will just keep happening. But there won't be any change comes about. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.